Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. with the rent by the end of the week he's out of here you wake me up for that come on dewey finn would have sold his soul for rock and roll but nobody was buying you're an embarrassment you're out maybe it's time to give up those dreams don't you miss rocking out you're not a teacher ned you're the cross-dressing incubus from maggot death dewey i'm not a satanic sex god anymore i'm a sub and soon i'll be a certified teacher I'm the principal here at Horace Green Prep, and we need somebody to start immediately. Hmm, so how much are we talking here? $6.50 a week. Hello, this is Ned Schneebly. Everyone, I'd like to introduce Miss Dunham's substitute. This is Mr. Schneebly. All right, look, I've got a hangover. Who knows what that means? Doesn't that mean you're drunk? No. It means I was drunk yesterday. Now, at the most prestigious prep school in the country. Yes, Tinkerbell. That poster charts everyone's performance. Where the students are rewarded for following the rules. What kind of a sick school is this? He's going to teach them a lesson. There will be no gold stars or demerits. That will rock their world. It's called Rock Band. Is this a school project? It will go on your permanent record. Hello, Harvard, yo. You, what's your name? Zach. You ever play electric guitar? My dad won't let me. Zach, do not walk away from me when I'm talking to you. What makes you mad more than anything in the world? No allowance. Chores. Bullies. All you bullies get out of my way, cause I am really ticked off! Mr. Schneebly, just wanted to say, that was a really cool lesson today. Oh, thanks, dude. All they wanted was an education. They're gonna laugh at me. You have an incredible singing voice. People are gonna dig you, I swear. Okay. What they got... Clear. ...was a revolution. I've just been informed that all of your children are missing. And if you were to be the teacher... Jack Black. <laughs> the School of Rock. It will test your head and your mind and your brain. Hi, everybody. This is Tommy James reminding you you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So tune in. Okay, let's just walk on. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run to your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com live here in the studios. 
in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, check out NostalgicRadioAndCars.com. That's where we save all our 650-some-odd shows. Is that it, Bobby, now? Uh, 51, 651. 651. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans, uh, musicians. Happy Pi Day. Happy Pi Day? Mm-hmm. What's Pi Day? 3.14. Oh, ha, ha, mm-hmm. ha, ha, ha. That was a big... Pi R square. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that's a, that's a geometry thing. Yep. Yeah, it was a okay. big deal in school. It was a big deal in school, okay. But now it's a big deal in places that sell pies and Pies? Well, bakeries. I thought, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, Village Inn or something like that. It was Pie Day or something like that, no? Or Perkins That's or something. what I was hoping for, too. Darn! Now maybe they don't know their math. I don't well, know. Well, we might have to go to uh, Denny's again, see if they got any pies over there, because they had some pies, but... Perkin, no, excuse me. Village. And, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got too many bills. I can't keep up with all the bills I got to send out here. Okay, 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 okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. We got a great show for you tonight. We are, are going to continue with March. We don't have March Madness here. We have March music here. Okay, we got a, a very special guest coming on this evening. This gentleman has a very interesting. Uh, uh, Let's say uh, aspect of the music industry that he's working in, and of course, last week we had Tommy James from the Shondells, or of the Shondells, Tommy James and the Shondells of the Shondells. And next week we have Mike Monarch coming on. He is the original guitarist for Steppenwolf. So if you're like me, born to be wild, uh, you're going to definitely you like that one, Bobby. I saw a smile on your face. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's wow, a play. That's a, you, play I got the, the pie. pie. You yeah, got I got the board. Right. Okay. Anyway, and then the week after that we have. Uh, Gene Cornish coming on, and he's one of the original founding members and the guitarist for the Rascals, or earlier than that, they were the Young Rascals. And then, and then, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we got a very special guest coming on. We have Henry Diltz coming on the first week in April, and he is, aside from being a musician, he's done some amazing photography with some of the most legendary bands out of the 60s and 70s, and then some, so I'm looking forward to having Henry on the show as well. Now, what do we got going on this weekend? we got the Palm event. That's at Mar Largo this weekend. Okay, we got the 12 Hours of Sebring going on. That's uh, at Sebring. And then we have the National National Muscle Car Association races going on over at Bithalo, over at Orlando, Orlando Speed World. And then today, I just went ahead and I was hanging out with my buddy over there, Jim Terry. Jim Terry has a music store, and he's a music instructor. And I had to take a picture of this. I'm going to post it on my Facebook page. And it's Jim Terry's Music Lessons for Old Guys. Now, I play guitar a little bit, but I'm more of a rhythm guitarist, you know, and, and I forgot a lot of stuff, and I just tinker with it every once in a while and kind of tinker with the bass. And I used to play, I used to tickle the ivories, you know, play the piano. So now, at my ripe old age of old, I am going to, <laughs> and I really dig music, especially 60s, 70s stuff. And guitar is not that difficult if you practice. That's the key, practicing. And any musical instrument, for that matter. But there's some that you kind of gravitate to, and they work really, really well with him. And you become, there's a synergy with the musical instrument, the guitar, which I think is really cool. Cars and guitars. And, of course, I like pianos, too. So I just haven't gotten around to play the piano. It's just you got to find time to do all this stuff. But anyway, so we got a real exciting month ahead of us. And uh, so I'm looking forward to some of these amazing people. And I think on that note, Bobby's going to go ahead and... Did we pick a song? Yeah, we did. We did pick a song. We did pick a song. So we got to go this, through the records th- th- here, and we yeah, got to find it. But Yeah, uh, and then we're going to drop the needle in the groove, as they say. But this band that we're going to play was also one of the um, bands that are... 
guests this evening was affiliated with, so or worked with them. Along with a much, a very impressive list. A very impressive list. So uh, this is uh, this. I'm really looking forward to the show. This is going to be exciting. Well, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Here's a little Credence Clearwater Revival, and this is something I used to do, but I wasn't. A little hitchhiking in the '70s, sweet hitchhiker. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that. right back. for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. back and uh yeah so i was hanging out with jim terry hey if you want guitar lessons give jim terry a call up there 727-789-6787 
And then, of course, my friend Center at St. Pete uh, Guitar, because they're fixing my other guitar, my original Lyle that I had back in the day. So a big shout-out to Lee and Tom, I mean, uh, Stevie and all those guys down there at uh, St. Pete Guitars. On that note, I think Bobby's going to go ahead and fire up the do stereo again. again. Want to do it again? Yeah. Let's play another song. Now, this one huh? is, oh, Todd Rudman? Yes, and now that the daylight, we've sprung forwards, we see the light all the time. We here see at, the during, light. During the show, so... All right. Well, hey, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Tune into Nostalgia Reading Cars. It's time to introduce our very special guest for the evening. This gentleman is, well, he has been for a long time what they call a tour and a road manager. And specifically, most recently, he is the tour and road manager for the legendary Tommy James and the Shondells. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Rich Neeson. Rich, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, Robert. Did I pronounce um, your last name right, Neeson? Absolutely. I, I, was, I, was, I was prepared to correct you. Oh, you okay. Wow. Okay, so I get one brownie button. (laughs) Absolutely. Brownie points all around. Super. So uh, give us a little background on yourself. Tell us a little bit uh, about your humble beginnings and how you got in the music industry. Okay, well, I I grew up in a fairly non-musical family, but my brother, my parents thought learning instruments was an important thing, so my brother was a flutist. I was given a piano, um, later clarinet, and lessons in the whole, that whole whole sort of backstory. what I realized early on is that music mattered to me, not necessarily classical music, what I was being trained for, but music. And the music was the music I was listening to growing up, which was rock and roll radio. Uh, eventually, I decided I was going to do something with music, and I wasn't going to be the musician. Uh, so as fate and luck would have it, I ran into uh, the members that would become Todd Rundgren's Utopia, uh, at kind of coincidentally, and being a fan, kind of started hanging out with them a little bit. And uh, early in the summer of 74, 1974, that is, uh, I ran into one of them and uh, spent the afternoon with him, ended up back at a recording studio that he owned and that Todd was using, uh, Todd Rundgren, and uh, didn't leave. I just spent the rest of that summer there, and that was my start. <laughs> wow. Now, when you were working with Todd, did, I mean, you're, you play music, you play the bass, guitar, correct? Yeah. And, uh, it's funny how they always say, uh, I know because I've been corrected, um, I still refer to it as a guitar, but some people say, no, I don't play the guitar, I play bass. What's your, uh, res- I, what's your response to that? It's still a guitar, right? Uh, 
It's still a guitar to me. It looks like a guitar. It's just got four strings. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And a narrow <laughs> neck. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, so did you, did you, did you get an opportunity to do any, uh, you know, like sessions with them and play? No, play? no. No? I, I mean, I like playing. It, it means a, a whole lot to me. But there's a reason I'm behind the scenes. <laughs> well, now you did mention that you do play in a couple bands up in New York, right? I do, and I play my heart out, and I love it, and I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But I don't have any illusions about what that ba- what these bands are. They're fun projects, and we all need them and enjoy them immensely. Okay, well, you're, you're you're on your way to becoming a Jack Bruce, and I know you were a Jack Bruce yeah. uh, fan, so go ahead. Fan. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, Jack well, Bruce was it, the bass player for uh, Cream. For Cream. Eric Clapton, the, for those who the, don't know. The, the reference there is that, as I started to say, I came up from a kind of a classical background, and um, I read an interview with Jack Bruce in early 1967, having seen Cream very early on as well in their career. Um, and... In that interview, he said that he had been tra- classically trained as a cellist, uh, but that when he started playing rock and roll, he realized he had to get, forget everything he'd ever learned as a classical musician. And that was like that epiphany moment. I went, okay, that's for me. <laughs> I'm going to forget everything they've taught me today, and I'm just going to rock out. <laughs> now, when you, when you went to college, what did you go to? What was your major in college? Uh, actually, I graduated from Ohio University with a general studies degree. Uh, and that was largely because I took a lot of courses over a lot of different uh, majors, but refused to take any of the prerequisites required to, to meet those majors. Okay. Uh, so they gave me a, what they call a general studies degree. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So now let's go back to Todd Rudrin. You're hanging out with Todd Rudrin. Yeah. And, uh, and then how does the touring well, manager, touring... Okay. Act- well, okay. To keep this quick... No, I spent that entire summer of 1974. Okay, I'll take my time. <laughs> I spent the entire summer of 1974 sleeping on the couch in the studio, and he was producing three different albums that summer. One for himself, the first Todd Rundgren's Utopia record. Um, one for Felix Cavalieri. You're going to have Gene Cornish on a couple of weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. Felix's first solo album. Uh, and also the third album by Daryl Hall and John Oates, which was called War Babies. Wow. When they when they finished that record, they needed a road crew. And because I'd been kind of the studio gopher, I'd go down to the basement and bring up the organ, I'd bring up some amplifiers and things like that. I didn't know anything about how to put them together at that point in time, but I was there. And I got offered the job of being their roadie. Uh, so that's what I did. And they happened to be opening the tour, uh, opening a tour for Lou Reed at the time. Oh, wow. Um, the tour was, for the album Sally Can't Dance. And I really never looked back. I mean, I, I did that tour. Uh, uh, well, actually, I did most of it. I got, I got fired because I really didn't know what I was doing. I <laughs> <laughs> okay. came back to New York, uh, picked up my bass and traveled around the South with some friends for a while just to figure things out and realized I really wasn't going to make a living playing bass. Came back to New York to my parents' house and... Uh, you know, found a job at a, at a place that rents instruments, the studios. Uh-huh. And it's called Studio Instrument Rentals. Um, and at the time, they were a 24-hour operation. And I was their, mainly their weekend guy. 
which meant that I could get a call at any hour of the day or night and say, hey, you got to do this. And I would go, I had the studio keys, I'd go get the van and take some equipment somewhere. So one night I got a call about 1.30 in the morning, so that I had to pick somebody up at 6 a.m. At, at JFK and bring the van and take them wherever they wanted to go and treat them like royalty. I didn't know anything about who these people were. As it turned out, they were the organizers of the Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder Review. Oh, wow. And um, I guess I made a good impression because when they came in to meet with my bosses the next day, they said, nobody's to know what was going on here. This person that we had yesterday, Rich, is the only person we're going to deal with. He's the only person who's going to be involved in the studio. And boom, I was off and running. And there I was on Rolling Thunder Review. Wow. <laughs> so you got to work with Bob Dylan then. Yeah. Also, still at the time when I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I, mean, tr I was truly a fish out of water, but it was an amazing, amazing experience because, I mean, you know, there I was. I mean, obviously, I'm a rock and roll fan, and if you're a rock and roll fan of that a era, Bob Dylan was <laughs> top of the top. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? No question. And, um, but getting to watch him perform every night and catch his nuances and things like that was pretty spectacular. So let me ask you this. So, okay, so a roadie for mm -hmm. our listeners, just define what a roadie is, basically. What are all the duties and responsibilities of a roadie? Now, we're going to get into the tour manager and the road okay. manager. Tour and road well, manager. So what's a roadie do, basically? Okay, first of all, as I, t as I told you early on uh, in our conversations, I euphemistically consider myself a roadie for life. Okay. This is what I do. I'm on the road. Um, nowadays, the term roadie is almost uh, a negative because – there's everybody's developed specialties and, and, and you know they, you have your lighting guys your sound guys your video guys your carpentry guys your riggers your, you know all these different jobs electricians so roadie was a catch-all term for people who just were on the road as backup support for the band uh that meant in those days it meant driving a truck it meant loading the equipment into a venue setting it up tuning the guitars, getting it all ready, and uh, when it was all done, packing it all back up, putting it back in the truck, and driving to the next city uh, without a break. So that's kind of the, 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 the definition. It's somebody who's willing to and capable of doing just about anything to keep that show going. Now, how do they get, um, how, do, how do roadies get paid? Is it a salary? Is it an hourly thing? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, it's still a business. It's you know, it's a variation of selling shoes. You know, you're, you're still doing a job for a company. Um, you know, the funny story is when I first started working for Bob Dylan. Obviously, I was on the payroll of the of the company that I was working for, Studio Instrument Rentals, at the time. Um, but I went. I was summoned to an office, and I sat down there with the gentleman who started the tour, Barry Imhoff, and uh, he looked at me. He said, we're going to pay you $200 a week, $10 a day, and you need to know this, and you need to know this well. Bob Dylan is not your friend. He's not going to be your friend. He doesn't want to know about you or your life. <laughs> you know, wow. all, this, all these things. And I'm 24 years old and completely new to all this, and I'm just nodding my head in stunned silence. You know? <laughs> um, in reality, it was a lot looser than all of that. But, you know, they certainly put a fear into me that I uh, respected, but absolutely got paid, you know, a check every week in my mailbox. So, and, go ahead. I was just going to say, and, uh, you know, additional to that, I mean, 
being on the road is a really good way to save money because those checks do go home or nowadays directly into your bank. Uh, and you are given a daily stipend of per diem um, that sometimes is as much as $50 a day, sometimes as little as 25 or 30 But it's free money on top of a salary. So you have money to live on day to day. At shows you're being fed, there's always food in the dressing room and stuff. So you don't have a whole lot to spend your money on, and nor do you have a whole lot of time to spend money. So even a low salary like that, for almost 50 years ago, um, put me in a shape to get my own apartment and stuff like that when I got to off the road. So this is all good. So what are the, what are the, so what's the, uh, so if, if, uh, if a entertainer does mm-hmm. 50 shows a week or 30 shows, I mean, 50 shows a year or 30 shows, yeah, 50 a week, 30 shows a year. So you're on the road with them the whole time. So the only time you're correct. not working for them is when there's, which would be basically in between shows, correct? Correct. And even then in, in my current state as a tour manager, I'm working whether I'm on the road or not. I'm constantly on the phone, uh, looking ahead to the next show, making the plans and taking care of the logistics. Um, to carry along with the food chain idea, you know, from, from just being a roadie person who moved all the guitars around and the amplifiers and drove the truck, I, I learned a trade in there. I learned how to be a sound engineer. And then so my next step was to do that professionally. And so now I was, driving the truck, setting up the equipment, and mixing the show. Oh, wow. But that, you know, as the years went on and people became more professional about things, those roles became more more, um, isolated from each other, you know, more, more specialized. And the sound guy did sound, and the roadie took care of the guitars, and the lighting guy did the lights, you know, um, and the truck drivers drove the trucks, or the bus drivers drove the buses. Now, so that, so it grew. Okay. From so from your days of gigging guitars <laughs> on stage <laughs> for the for the musicians to becoming a tour manager, when do you make that step? Mm-hmm. I I made that step in nineteen seventy eight and it was in part because of well two things. It was an opportunity offered to start working with a brand new artist who was just about to release their first record at the time. Um, and it was also a bit of frustration on my part because one of the things that do, did happen back then is a lot of, a lot of times people just didn't know what's going on. You know, there was no information flowing smoothly. Today it's all done online and you get emails, you get, uh, there's actually applica- apps that people use on touring to ch- trade information about what's happening on the show. Um, but back then, you know, your information came kind of piecemeal. And I found it very frustrating. And I said, I could do a better job at this. So when this opportunity was presented itself with an artist whose name is Steve Forbert, he's a singer-songwriter, folky, at one point considered the next Bob Dylan, uh, I said, well, okay, fine. I'm going to be the sound man and the road manager. And they said, sure, we need both. So you're it. Wow, that was an excellent <laughs> opportunity. So how long did that last? I worked with Steve from 1978 to 1981. We're still friends today. I've worked with him off and on through the years. and. Uh, you know, but at 19, by 1981, I needed, he needed to separate, separate sound and, and tour management. Um, and I had more opportunities coming my way with different artists at the same time. So we just, uh, 
he got two guys to replace me, and you know, I went off to do something else at that point. <laughs> well, your your list of people that you've worked with, Steely Dan, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Herb yeah. Alpert, Blue Oyster Cole, yeah. and, and obviously Todd Rundgren, I mean, you know, and Edie Burkell, that's a pretty impressive uh, uh, cast of characters that you were working with. I, I've, been, I've been very fortunate. There's no question about it. Um, for the most of my career, when something, when one door closed, another one absolutely opened. Um, actually, you mentioned Edie Brickell. I had been tour managing Kiss uh, on the Crazy Nights tour in 1987 and 88, and it wasn't a really good fit. Um, I'm not their kind of guy. Let's put it that way. Okay. So when when the when the U.S. portion of the tour ended, I had no, I didn't have any doubt that I was done with them. I didn't quit. They didn't fire me. They just moved on. Okay. okay. Um, but I was only home for about two days when I got a call from a friend of mine who's an agent. He said, look, I got this band I just signed. They don't know anything about touring. They've never been on the road, really. They're in Dallas, Texas. Uh, let me send you their record, and would you consider going out with them? And uh, that was Edie Brickell and New Bohemians. Wow. And I listened to the, the first album before it came out, and I thought, this is cool stuff. And I love barbecue, so Dallas was fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, food is an important part of road life. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like cars, you know, you got to have them. You got to have them, exactly. <laughs> but so I, I, I took on the job uh, with Edie Brickell and New Bohemian, and the first show they did, quite literally, was Saturday Night Live. And I still remember, you know, the, on Saturday Night Live shows, you have the full dress rehearsal on the Thursday, then a day for them to rewrite bits and whatever, and change whatever they need to change internally. Uh, but the band is done on Thursday, and you do the show on Saturday, of course, live. And um, I still remember sitting in that dressing room for hours, explaining to them what they were gonna, about to embark upon with life on the road, because now they have a hit song, and now they're going on tour. And uh, it was a pretty exciting time for all of us. When you guys did the rehearsal with uh, on Saturday Night Live, was that also in front of a live audience, or was that with nobody? Yes, there? it was. Okay. No, no. I, I, well, there's an afternoon. There's an afternoon run through on Saturday. That's in front of a live audience. The oh. Thursday stuff is no shot. Is just shot blocking and sound sound stuff. Interesting. But uh, but but in that particular show, um, that Saturday night, we're on the air live, and Paul Simon walks into the studio. Oh. walks right up to the camera that's facing in front of Edie and just stands there and watches her. And you can't find this online. I haven't, I haven't seen it for years. But she lost her place in the middle of the big, their big hit song, What I Am. And she's got What I Am is What I Am is What I Am is What I Am is What I Am. Because <laughs> 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 she's staring at Paul Simon. And, and for her, it was the same kind of reaction that I had when I first met Bob Dylan. You know? <laughs> it's called starstruck, right? Is that the word? I, I think that's the exact word. Yeah. And, and um, you know, so that obviously turned into something. <laughs> They've been married a long time now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Well, now, what was it like working with Herb Alpert? Oh, wait a minute, one more quick question. Did you, oh. when, the night of Saturday Night Live, did you have to, any interactions, anything that you had to do work with, like with uh, Lauren Michael or anybody like that? or? <laughs> Not really, no. No? No. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, they have a staff that, 
you know, handlers and wranglers and get you make sure you're where you need to be when they need you to be there. Okay. And that's it. Yeah. Um, but no, if you want to ask about Herb, yeah, Herb is wonderful. I mean, I, I, I adored the man, and I was really honored to have a chance to work with him. At the time, I was actually managing another artist as a personal manager, uh, a jazz artist named Jeff Lorber, who, among the many things he's done to the smooth jazz world, is he the guy who discovered both Kenny G and Dave Cobb. Oh, really? Um, yeah, they were both members of the Jeff Lorber fusion. Dave followed Kenny into that, and... Uh, and that's uh, in any case. But before I digress, Jeff was producing an album for Herb Alpert called Second Wind, and Herb was talking about, well, let's try and do some shows. And Jeff said, well, my manager is is a tour manager too. <laughs> you know? So I got invited up to uh, the Herb Alpert Foundation, his, his building in Santa Monica, um, and we were going to meet and sit down and see what was going on. Um, we walked in, and I remember there was this working guy carrying a painting. He was wearing like you know overalls and a shirt that had a white T-shirt that had paint splashes all over it, and and he stopped to talk to Jeff. And I thought that's very cool. It's, you know, Jeff knows all the people around here. And I realized afterwards, Jeff said to me, oh, "I should have introduced you. That was Herb." Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so Herb is a very humble, down-to-earth guy. That's my point. Um, and at the same time, we used to joke as we were flying between shows in a private jet that the jet was being paid for by the interest he's earning while we're in the air. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it was a fantastic experience, and I learned a great deal about humility and about you know just treating everybody respectfully from her. Wow, that's great. That's great. How about working with uh, uh, John Fogarty and CCR? Well, actually, see, I, yeah, you played you played Sweet, Hitch, Sweet Hitchhiker at the top. Yes. The band that I worked with was the Fogarty-less Creedence Clearwater Revisited. Oh, okay. Which was which was the rhythm section, Cosmo, Doug Clifford, and the bass player Stu Cook. And at the time, Elliot Easton from the Cars was their guitar player. Uh, and they had a really phenomenal frontman in a guy named John Tristeo, uh, who was a dead ringer vocally for John Fogarty. Uh-huh. Um, and and it was it was fine. It, they, they, their shows were fabulous. I mean, they really did the music proud. Okay, you know? good. But I only ever worked with John Fogarty once, and it was not as a tour person, but as a production person. Okay. And and that was. Uh, not one of my favorite experiences. So let me get to that. Okay. How about uh, Blue Ash of Cold? I love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. We saw um, them here in, in Clearwater. What was it? Safety Harbor? Is that where it was? By Oldsbar. They were down here one time, and uh, they were they were they were fantastic. Yeah, they they still are. They really do. Eric Bloom and Donald Buckdarma. Um, again, that came out of my working relationship with Studio Instrument Reynolds. Okay. Uh, there was a there was a band that was rehearsing in the studio endlessly. They were kind of like the the the, the studio joke in a sense because they would just rehearse, 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 and never do anything. And they, but they were managed by the same people who managed Blue Oyster Cult. And I got, they were also kids who'd grown up in my neighborhood, and I knew some of them from you know the, from the area, and so I kind of got to be friendly with them, and I became friendly with the management and. Uh, one day in early 1976, 
the man, one of the managers came to me and said, "Hey, our guitar tech was in a bad car accident. We need somebody to cover for him for the upcoming tour, which was for Agents of Fortune, but don't fear the Reaper. Uh, can you do it?" And I said, I, "I'm there. I'm yours." You know, and uh, and so off I went, uh, and I did that entire tour. He came back in the early part of 1977, and I went back to working for that other band that had been the studio band, a punk rock band called The Dictators. Okay. And uh, I'm, they still exist and actually have their first album in like 15 years coming out within the next year. Uh, and I'm obviously still close friends with them. Uh, but with Blue Oyster Cult, I stayed in touch, went back to working for them again in 1980 for uh, two different tours, so Double Troubles with Boghat and Black and Blue with Black Sabbath. Oh, and uh, and then that at that point I became their road manager, not their not their guitar tech. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as you can see, as you as listeners can see, I continually was challenging myself to do something different and more than I had been doing before. I, I was I was ambitious. Well, that's to I, say the least. That's good. So now you are the road and tour manager for Tommy James. Tommy. How did yeah. how did that all come about? Uh, <laughs> well, it's kind of I'm a, my I'm kind of like the Spinal Tap drummer of Tommy James's <laughs> tour managers. Okay, um, he has a book, Me the Mob and the Music. Great, right. great read. I recommend it to everybody. As you, as you know, you saw the show. I I, I hawk the book from the stage. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but that book was written by Tommy and and a gentleman by the name of Martin Fitzpatrick. Fabulous writer, not a tour manager, but Tommy needed a road manager and asked Martin to be that person. And Martin did it and did it for many years. Um, he got sick and passed away, was replaced by another gentleman that Tommy knew for a long time who did three shows with him. And then he passed away. Oh, wow. And then they were scrambling and happened to mention this, um, a friend of a friend of a friend mentioned to a friend of a friend of another friend that they needed somebody in a hurry, and he thought of me. And I said, oh, I'm sure I'll give it a call, give it a try. And I gave them a call, told them who I am and what I do, and they said, great, we need you. And that's really how it came about. It was just, you know, word of mouth kind of thing. Uh, and that began almost two years ago now. Wow. And I love it because it, it suits, especially coming out of the pandemic, people, you know, people were really wary about traveling heavily and doing things and I myself had you know been home for two and a half years at that point you know um, so it suits me very well Tommy does about 30 shows a year uh, and I consider it semi-retirement semi-retirement <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still staying busy but I'm not having to get on a bus and sleep in hotels every night of the, the year well, let's talk about. I want to talk about the tour manager side a little bit, okay? Sure. So, sure. as a tour manager, okay, and now my son, he he's he just graduated from UCF a few years ago, and his degree <laughs> is in stage and theater management. Okay, cool. so he can kind of relate to everything that we're talking about right now. Yep. And um, so, where I'm going with this is that as a tour manager, let's just kind of go over the duties and responsibilities. In other words, for sure. example, are you also do you as do you also get involved with 
arranging. Okay, so he's going to be at this venue. He's going to be at, uh, let's just say, hypothetically, Ruth Eckert Hall. You're going to be at the Villages. You're going to be at Melbourne Theater. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in Sarasota. You're going to be in Orlando, the Stras, right. or whatever. Sure. Do, do, do you take care of that, or is that something that, that a, a no. booking manager would do? In in the hierarchy of things, okay. you have the artist. He's, you know, you're, he's the chief executive officer. Okay, so in this case, Tommy, right? Right, right Tommy. He has a manager, your chief operating officer. Okay, which would be Carol, He has a correct? booking agent. What? I'm sorry, Carol. What a, what a Carol? Okay. Carol. He has a booking agent who, I guess, for, you know, I can't call him the chief financial officer because he also has an accountant. Okay. Uh, but he's a kind of a co-executive. Okay. The booking agent. So the booking agent is the person who solicits the shows or fields offers from places that, you know, are interested in hiring Tommy to play a, sh- a concert. Okay. He then goes to Carol and to Tommy. They look at the schedule. They look at uh, what Tommy has to do in his day, day-to-day operations. They look at the money, of course, to make sure that it's adequate and that the terms of the contract will be met. And they, assuming that they say yes to it, as they did in the villages in December, we just added a show, I don't even think it's been advertised yet, in Key Largo uh, oh, oh. in February of next year. Oh. You know, or the Strawberry Festival, where we played a couple of years ago and now last week. Um, at the point at which they say yes, the agent issues a contract, and when they issue the contract, they send a copy to me. And that's where my job begins. Now, are you an independent, or do you work for a larger company, and you're basically... I own my own company. Okay, you own and your own am, company. It's just, it is a corporation, but I'm a sole proprietor, in essence. You know, okay. It's really a, a company that offers my services. Okay. And that's obviously for tax reasons. You know. <laughs> right. Now, do um, you have a staff, or are you the sole chief I am cook and offer? I am it. Although You're I direct a lot of people in my in the capacity that I do my job. Okay. I mean, I work with a travel agent. I work with you know our own crew, our production team. And they all they all get their information directly from me, and report back to me. I'm the hub, you know, and, and there's a lot of spokes to that wheel. Okay. So, I'll get a copy of the contract. I will let everybody in the band and the crew know that we have this new date coming up. I'll let our social media people know. I know I'll let our website folks know so that we can disseminate that information. So it all begins with me at that point. Um, most of the time we're talking about dates that are several months away. So I may you know, send a quick email to the, to the person at the venue saying, hey, I'm your contact for this show. Obviously we have plenty of time, but I just wanted to make sure you know who I am. And then as we draw closer, uh, I'll start making logistical plans of how we're actually getting there. Uh, you know, say for argument's sake, our show is in Kansas City um, or Florida, for Tampa. You know, I, I'll, you know I, I know the travel habits of our band and crew, so I'll have our travel agents put together flight options for everybody. And that can be very tricky because a lot of times, I need to get everybody into the same city at roughly the same time to coordinate with our ground transportation people. You know, uh, sometimes that's ourselves, and sometimes it's provided by the by a venue. Okay. You know, it, it, it varies. It, it, these are all variable things. But in any case, I I, I set all of these things in motion, and everybody kind of reports back to me. The travel agent gives me what my flight options are. I'll call the guys in the band and say, this is what I'm going to need you to fly. Is that okay? And they'll go, no, I've got a gig that night. I have to go the next morning. 
okay, change plans. <laughs> you know? So a lot of these guys are independents as well, then, is what you're saying? Everybody. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're all paid by the same entity, Tommy's company. Okay. We're all paid by the same entity. But, yeah, we're all independent contractors, you know, for all intents and purposes. Okay. I mean, um, anyway, continuing along with what happens in my, in my job, I take care of all these logistics. I'll talk to the promoters as we get closer about how they're going to feed us, where they're going to house us, if they're going to house us. Sometimes, again, sometimes that's on the promoter, sometimes it's on us. Uh, either way, these are the things I have to get done. Hotels, flights, ground transportation, hospitality, meal catering, um, showtimes. What time we have to get our crew in there, what time we have a sound check, what time the show's going to start, how much time the opening act, if there is one, is going to be on. Uh, do we have to worry about unions and their breaks and, you know, getting ourselves into the, somebody else's schedule? As with the Florida Festival, the Florida Strawberry Festival, there were three shows on that stage that day. There was uh, Bill Haley Jr. and the Comets right. at 10.30 in the morning, us at 3.30 in the afternoon, and for King and Country at 7.30 the same night. You know, so I needed to make sure that everything we were doing fit into that little tight window, um, and hopefully seamlessly, which it did. That happened to be, I happened to be very lucky that day. So now you actually, so with the bands that were on earlier, you have to coordinate with them, and then the same thing with the, well, the band afterwards, you don't have to worry about, but the ones, if there's, if there's a band before you, you've got to coordinate with them, like you said, setting up equipment, sound checks, and all that. And yeah, then, but again, as I talked about having all, all the different spokes to the wheel, the promoter has a production coordinator, okay. and that's the person that I'm dealing with who's really nuts and bolts with all three bands. Okay. You know, so they, that person knows what we need, and they know what they're doing before us and after us. And that's the production manager at the venue, correct? At the venue, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then how do you determine whether you're going to, let's say, Tommy's going to travel by bus or travel by plane? And, I mean, how does, does that come into play? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm laughing I'm laughing because Tommy is, is fairly old school in a lot of ways, and I love, I love this about him. Okay. Uh, he doesn't want to be on a bus. Okay. He likes to be in a limousine. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so we will fly into a city. Right. And I will rent a, I will rent him a limousine. Okay. Sometimes it's provided by the promoter, and sometimes it's provided you know it's out of Tommy's own pocket. But it's his money; he can spend it any way he wants. And um, so we will do that. Uh, and in the case of this show we did last week, we really put it, put it hard on ourselves. We flew down that morning, and we flew home that evening. We landed in Tampa at twelve fifteen that afternoon. We were on stage at 3.30, having done a sound check at 1.30, finished the show, visited with you and other people that we had backstage, got back in the limo, and drove back to the airport. Had dinner in the airport, got on a plane, and went to sleep. <laughs> Woke up in Newark. <laughs> um, so, you know, in, for an artist like Tommy, who does only 30 shows a year, flying is the only real way to do that stuff. Uh -huh. Unless, of course, you're close enough to home. We have a show coming up uh, this Saturday on Long Island, so everybody's just driving themselves. Okay. Now, let me ask you another question. I want to talk a little bit about you. Um, I was reading your... I love doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you, were, uh, uh, you taught an undergraduate course. I did. At, 
And so tell us a little bit about that. we got a few minutes left, so I want you to share some of that and, and, and teaching sure. a little bit. Through, through the years, obviously, I picked up a lot of experiences. Mm-hmm. And I wore a lot of hats. I was a roadie. I was a guitar tech. I was a sound engineer. I was a road manager. I was a tour accountant. You know, um, I actually put shows together for private companies for a period of time. And, you know, so I wore a lot of hats. I was a production person. I was all of these things. Um, and I was working for a New York City-based promoter who had been doing this guest lecture series at NYU. And they asked him to take on teaching the full course, which was called Concert Production and Management. And he said he didn't have time for it, but they could have his production manager, me. Um, And so I went to do that as an adjunct professor at NYU for about seven years. Um, Unfortunately for me, I I got started a year late. Because the last year that my then boss was doing the, the, the lecture series, one of the students in his class was Lady Gaga, Stephanie oh. Germanata. Wow. <laughs> so, that might have provided me some opportunities in my class. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it. I, to be honest, I love doing it because I love the fact, well, let, let me put it this way. I'm very grateful to the music business and the industry and rock and roll. It's provided me a good life. I've worked hard. I've enjoyed it. I'm one of those people who can honestly say I've never worked a day in my life because I'm doing something I love, even though every day I'm working my tush off. Um, So I would go into the classroom and look at all these, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids, all undergraduates who, like, like you were talking about earlier, go to concerts and just look at this thing on stage as if it's magic. And I would say to them, if I do my job correctly, I owe you an apology because I'm going to ruin concerts for you for the rest of your lives. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I did. I pulled back the curtain. I showed them how shows got built. When I was producing events at Madison Square Garden for the promoter, I would invite my class to come and watch me work for the day. You know, if you could spare the time, come on into Madison Square Garden and watch a show get built from the ground up. From the riggers coming in, and marking spaces on the floor where the, where the motors are going to go and lift the lights up and the sound up from the stage getting built and the equipment getting brought in, all of that stuff, you know, uh, was stuff that I taught in the class. And I used my own life and in my own experiences and, you know, the, the contracts that I was a party to and the writers that I was involved in creating as, as the texts from the course. But I did it for seven years, and I'm honored and proud to say that at least a dozen people through those years are now in the position that I've been in. They're tour managers, they're lighting people, they're sound people. Uh, and I'm really, I'm really happy about that, that I've helped repopulate the business that, I, that gave me a career and a life. Well, that's 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 fantastic. That's you know when you can when you when you can experience something and then give back a little bit. Yeah, that's you got to feel yeah. really good about that. I, I had a show just to give you an idea. I had a show in Miami. A uh, private event this past December as part of Art Basel, oh. know, the, big, the big art thing. Um, I was doing something for Yves Saint Laurent, and they threw a private party for Madonna uh, on the beach. And there was a DJ opening the event. Actually, it was all DJs, but the DJ who opened the event came in with a couple of friends of his, one of whom happened to, end up, happened to have been a former student of mine. Oh. And she was now his manager. <laughs> I hadn't seen her since she'd been my student. It would have been 11 years. But she recognized me. 
I recognized the name, her name. I didn't recognize her. Um, but there it was, right there in front of me. Here's something I did, and here's the result of it. And I was, that's just, I, I can't begin to tell you how meaningful it is in, in a life, you know, that you've had a direct impact on somebody else's life and future. That's super. We are, Rich, we're just about up against the clock, but one quick question. I don't know how, if you can answer sure. this in like 30 seconds, but uh, a talent buyer. What exactly is a talent buyer in 30 seconds? Talent buyer is the person, it, it, that's a name that's on two fronts. Talent buyer is the promoter's representative who calls the booking agent and gets the available dates for artists they're interested in booking. Okay. So. <laughs> you did it. You did it. You did it. Okay, good. Hooray for me. Well, Rich, I want to thank you. I mean, I I really tickled. I was it was a pleasure meeting you last week. Uh, I loved I I loved meeting Tommy. It was great. We hung out there and we talked a little bit. And I'm really tickled that you came on the show today and kind of uh, you know shared with us a little. A different aspect of, of the concert world and, uh, mm -hmm. and the entertainment world because nobody really gets the gist of what all's involved in the, behind the scenes yeah. so we can well, have this great entertainment. I, I never like to dispel the magic, but it's really hard work for, and it takes people who really know what they're doing, who have the patience of a saint um, and the, the work ethic of a mule. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: Do you? I mean, do you Maybe have, the brains of one too? I think. <laughs> yeah. So, if, if people want to find out more about this, or more about you, or do you have like a website, social media, anything like that? Is there I, anybody, how do they follow I, I, you? I really, I really don't. I'm, I'm kind of just a, a lone wolf out here. You know, uh, I don't have a website. I probably should have done that a long time ago. Um, you know, I am on I, I am on some degree of social media, but not very much. You know. Well, so, it, unfortunately, all, all I can tell you is, uh, you know, look at the shows. If you see some old guy with long blonde hair, that's you. That's probably me. <laughs> all, right. all right, Rich, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. We look forward to having you on again sometime. Look forward to crossing Anytime, paths with Robert. you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you thank so you. very much. You take good care. Super. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. We're just about out of time. In the meantime, everybody, I want to see you some of the concerts. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.